Hi, my name is Dr. Mark Alandari, and I'm an infectious diseases specialist in New Orleans. Hi, my name is Hope Hickerson, and I'm a health education specialist and reporter. This is the Noise Filter Podcast, where an infectious diseases physician... That's me, and a health education expert... That's me. Talk about what you need to know to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. For more information about Noise Filter, your public health podcast, and to watch and share our incredible informative animations, please visit us at noisefiltershow.com. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to us. So let's get started. Researchers see developmental differences in children exposed to Zika. In 2016, the major public health emergency of Latin America was the Zika virus. Remember that? That seems like eons ago. (laughs) I can't even wrap my mind around it. In all seriousness, of course, this resulted in birth defects after prenatal exposure to the illness. Around 1,000 babies in the U.S. were born to women who had Zika while pregnant. Five years after the height of the virus circulation, scientists are able to make some early observations about how Zika affects development in children. NPR reported some of the findings. So here we go. A year after the Zika public health emergency was declared, American researchers found that around 95% of babies exposed to prenatal Zika appeared normal at birth, but last-year neurologists at the Prenatal Pediatrics Institute at Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. found that even babies who appeared normal at birth experienced some developmental differences. Children whose mothers had Zika tended to struggle with fine motor skills, while bigger motor functions like running and jumping were better. While this can seem like a small thing, difficulties like this can be frustrating for children and cause them to act out, which can affect how they're treated and placed in school. Early intervention in developmental deficits are essential to long-term development in school-age children. Now the team at the Prenatal Pediatrics Institute is doing long-term research with Zika-exposed children. This includes getting MRIs when the kids are at age 7 to check for structural differences in the brain between those who had Zika exposure and those who didn't. Some of the Zika research could provide some important lessons for the current pandemic. When pregnant women get fever and inflammation, we know these things can affect early development. While COVID differs from Zika because there's no indication, COVID results in a specific birth defect. Zika teaches us that long-term research on the effects of prenatal COVID exposure is essential. Scientists find link between opioid impact on breathing and pain. A report from a team of scientists in the journal Neuron have found that a brain circuit in mice that helps to explain how opioids affect pain and breathing. According to NPR, the team also discovered evidence that it's possible to separate out these effects. This means that it's possible to develop safer pain medications. In their experiments with mice, scientists discovered two populations of neurons in the same area of the brain. One controls pain and the other controls breathing, and the populations interact often. This explains how painful experiences increase the breathing rate. 
Opioid overdoses result in death because the drug interacts with neurons that code for breathing, and then they stop telling the lungs to keep breathing. Right now, the only way to revive a person who's overdosed is by using naloxone, which is very effective at restoring the body to normal breathing. But naloxone can induce withdrawal symptoms because it's an opioid receptor antagonist. That means that it blocks all opioid effects. That means that a drug that only restores breathing would be a better option. New Promising Treatment for Sickle Cell Disease Sickle cell disease is a disorder that results in misshapen red blood cells. Rather than the usual donut-like shape red blood cell, the cells exist in a sickle or crescent shape. The sickle-shaped cells are not as viable as the usual red blood cells, leaving those with the disease with less healthy red blood cells. Furthermore, the disease creates reduced transport of oxygen through the bloodstream and the risk of coagulation of sickle cells, preventing the flow of red blood cells, leading to a painful event known as a sickle cell crisis. Sickle cell disease currently impacts about 100,000 Americans, and the disease occurs in one out of every 365 births in African-Americans. The disease is inherited. It occurs when someone receives a recessive sickle cell trait from both of their parents. Interestingly, having one sickle cell trait and one dominant trait provides an advantage against malaria. The reason this trait has continued to survive is because of the heterozygous advantage it offers. The harm occurs if two sickle cell traits are inherited. So recently, a study from Columbia University revealed a very promising treatment for sickle cell disease. The report focused on long-term outcomes of patients who received gene therapy for sickle cell disease. The gene therapy was a single-dose treatment aimed at correcting the shape of the red blood cell. The treatment eliminated the collection of sickle cells that lead to blockages of blood vessels and is a large source of pain in patients. These blockages lead to many hospital visits, lots of pain, organ damage, and contribute to early death. The physicians involved with the study were thrilled to see an elimination of sickle cell crises in their patients. The new therapy is called lentinglobin, and it uses the patient's own stem cells. The stem cells are genetically edited to produce the correct cell shape, and then the new cells are infused back into the patient's bone marrow. Since the treatment uses the patient's own stem cells, there is no risk of the body rejecting the treatment. A con of the treatment is that the patient must undergo a high dose of chemotherapy treatment before the infusion to get rid of the cells producing the sickle cell shape. There are significant side effects of the chemotherapy, one being a small risk of cancer. Two patients in the study developed leukemia, and researchers believe that this was a side effect of the chemotherapy treatment. The long-term goal will be to find a safer method than chemotherapy and to make lentiglobin treatment accessible early in life for patients with sickle cell disease. This is home for me because sickle cell is in my family. Um, and I've lost four family members to it. So this really hits home. And, and if this technology had been around previously, they would still be here. Yeah. When I worked at the public hospital in Cleveland, I cared for many sickle cell folks. And uh, he, even here at Tulane, we have a quite a robust sickle clinic as well. So um, mm -hmm. boy, do I, I see it. Mm -hmm. But I, I did want to ask you, did you understand what the heterozygous genes, did you understand that part where having the sickle trait is actually an advantage in terms of helping against malaria? Did that point resonate? I'm assuming it has something to do with the way malaria attaches in the body. I'm assuming it has something to do with that. 
So because malaria is so prevalent in Africa, where you have individuals in Africa who have the sickle trait, but don't Mm -hmm. have the two recessive genes, Mm -hmm. they'll have a recessive sickle gene, Mm -hmm. and then they'll have a dominant gene that gives them the sickle trait rather than having the sickle cell disease like they would if they had two recessive genes. And having that dominant gene that gives them the sickle trait makes it such that, like you said, the parasites in malaria are not able to destroy the red blood cells because Mm -hmm. those red blood cells are protected. So this is one of the reasons why the trait has been advantageous. But of Mm -hmm. course, if if somebody has the two recessive genes and then they develop sickle cell disease, which as you said, a devastating disease. So this is a tremendous promising treatment and fingers are crossed that this is something that people will be able to take advantage of. Yes. Thanks for listening to Noise Filter, your public health podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Noise Filter podcast. Follow us on social media and leave us a review letting us know your favorite part of the show. You can find me, Hope Hickerson, at hopehickerson.com. And you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at the Dr. Derry. That's D R D E R Y. To see and share our amazing animations and find out more information about us, the show, as well as links to our social media, go to noisefiltershow.com. We are grateful to our sponsors, including Access Health Louisiana and the End the Epidemic Initiative, who are working to bring equitable health outcomes to everyone they serve. Hope, any last words? Stay well out there, folks, and continue taking steps to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. That includes exercise, a good diet, getting adequate sleep, and seeing your health care providers regularly. And protect yourself and others by getting the COVID-19 vaccine and booster, wearing a mask, and social distancing wherever possible. Remember, health is a human right.